Amen. Hey, you can be seated for just a moment. I know our pattern and habit is that we stand for the reading of Scripture, and we, we are going to do that here in um, just a moment, but there's something I want to do before we do that. No. Does anybody else? I really don't love using this word, but does anybody else feel the heaviness? Anybody else? There's just a lot going on. And, and I don't even mean globally, although, of course, that is true. But in our church family, I, I noticed as uh, we were singing, a couple of lines jumped out. And, and I know for a lot of people in the room, this isn't sort of uh, distant. This is right up here. In the very first song we sang, um, Christ, Our Hope in Life and Death, we had this line. He stands above the stormy trial. And for a lot of us, that's not uh, hypothetical. That's life right now. I feel like the disciples in the boat, he's asleep, and we think we're about to go under, right? And then the song we just sang, it began with the phrase, the fury of the storm. So what I want us to do is to bow our heads and we're going to pray but what we don't want to have happen today is that we come to church and we leave church and, well, I guess what I want to say is we need the Lord and we need each other. And I, I, I hope that, um, that you know me well enough that I'm in no way, shape, or form interested in emotional manipulation I want to pray and turn to the Lord. And if it would be helpful for you, sometimes it's just helpful to, to acknowledge some things together before the Lord. I'm going to pray in a moment for those right in the midst of the stormy trial. And if you just got some things going on in your life and you'd say, Pastor Brandon, that's where I am. I am in the midst of the storm. Would you just look at me? I just want to see your eyeballs. And you look until I see you. You're in the midst of the storm right now. And it'll just be good if somebody knew that. Yep. In the midst of it right now. Well, let's all bow our heads and. Father, I'm grateful that you know, you know the specifics, you know the intensity, you know the uncertainty that of what um, 
people are facing, and uh, I'm also thankful that you know what they need. So in humility, we ask for help. The storms, the trials, the fury, the... Lord, I pray for you to provide what each person needs in Christ Jesus. Out of the abundance of your grace, you would provide for what we need. We need help, Lord. Sometimes it feels like the storm won't end. So help us, Lord. Help us to pray when we don't know what to pray. Help us to look to you when life just feels hopeless or uncertain or overwhelming. God, we need help. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Give us assurance in uh, what the anchor really is and where our hope can really be found. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, I am going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word from Jeremiah. Chapter 1, verses 11 through 19 is what we're going to read together today. And that's where the message will, will come from. So Jeremiah, chapter 1 I think I've shared with you before that I'm not real good at sermon titles or series titles, and so my really creative series title for our study in the book of Jeremiah is the book of Jeremiah. And then most of my sermon titles, I've just decided I'm just going to take a phrase that is used in the passage that we're going to preach, just to emphasize what we need more than anything else is God's Word as He's revealed Himself in Scripture. So Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 11, the Word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, you've seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. The Lord said to me, out of the north, disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord. And they shall come and everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls all around and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil and forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and have worshipped the works of their own hands. But you, dress yourself for work, arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Let's pray again. Father, what we need is to to see as you see, to hear as you hear, to know um, that you are trustworthy and your word is certain. So give us grace now and give us what we need. Maybe not what we want, give us what we need from your perspective. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, I open with a, a story from my childhood. It was in 1985, 1986, thereabouts. So I was about five or six years old. I grew up with two older brothers. Uh, which means when I was really young, I spent a lot of time alone, right? Because the older brothers didn't think it was the most fun thing in the world to kind of babysit the younger brother. And so uh, we had this backyard when I grew up, uh, and it's the 80s, so you just entertained yourself back in those days. And I had a shovel, and um, I think the movie The Goonies had come out, and I was just kind of captivated by the thought of finding buried treasure. I mean, I'm five years old, so you just have to understand that's where I was coming from. And I started digging a lot of holes in my backyard. And as you might suspect, my parents weren't thrilled with that. And so my dad had told me, son, I don't want you to dig any more holes in the backyard. You've kind of made a mess, uh, and, 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 and I don't want you to do that anymore. And like a lot of children, I heard what my dad said, but I didn't do what he said. I kept digging. And, and I had G.I. Joe men, and I was uh, digging uh, and wanted to make kind of this fort you know, is what, what I was, was doing. And I dug pretty well down into the ground. And my tip of my shovel hit something solid. I thought buried treasure. So I kept kind of digging around. And then I started to kind of, this is really foolish, but I started to bang on that solid. What I thought was treasure. It wasn't treasure. It was the septic tank. And the reason I knew it was the septic tank is because I busted it. That's how I knew. And as fast as I could, I started covering up that, to put it nicely, mess. What I didn't know is my dad was at the window watching. So I covered it up, patted it down, ran inside, and my dad said, you weren't digging, were you? I said, no, sir. No, sir. And then I began to kind of avoid my dad because his very presence made me feel guilty. So I knew what I'd done, and I didn't know that he knew what I had done. I went to school the next day and I was just stressed out the whole day. Came home, there was my dad. And he looked at me and he said, is there anything you feel like you need to tell me? I said, I had a great day at school, dad. Which wasn't true. Guilty conscience. But I kept pushing it down. And I was walking out of the room and he said, son? I said, yes, sir. He said, I know what you did. And I said, yes, sir. You made a mess, didn't you? Yes, sir. Little boy, qu quavering voice, you know. I want you to know that I handled it. Started sobbing. And he said, next time, come to me first, right? Now, Jeremiah is going to teach us in a way that he, the solution is not to pretend there isn't a mess. That's not a solution. In Jerusalem, there is a mess. It's called idolatry. And the solution is not to pretend that there isn't a mess. Solution, uh, but, but secondly, and Jesus was teaching us this in John chapter 3, we made the mess, but are unable to fix the mess. Now, Adam and Eve didn't recognize that, and neither do we, because when they made the mess of the fall and rebelled against God, their first attempt was to fix it, to cover it up. And then God came to hold them to an account, and you remember what they did. They made excuses and hid from Him. And that is true of us as well as those who are born in Adam. And so, so God, in His grace, 
raises up Jeremiah to do one of the hardest things there is to do, to tell the truth. And it's, well, verse 19. They will fight against you. We started the series in Jeremiah last week, and just to reiterate again, he, he's going to be a prophet for about 40 years, a generation, 40 years, between the 620s and the 580s B.C., and within those 40 years, he's not going to be well-respected. He's not really going to be listened to. Two converts that we can know with uh, certainty from his ministry, and here's the sorts of things he's going to hear for 40 years. Oh, Jeremiah, you don't need to listen to him. He exaggerates. He's too fanatical. He's overreacting. Those will be common objections to Jeremiah as he warns his generation against their false assumptions. Right now, every time I get in my truck, my eight-year-old daughter wants to play a certain song on my phone. It's from the movie Encanto. If you have a child who's seen this movie, they want to hear this song all the time. It's called We Don't Talk About Bruno. How many of you know this song? The movie... Encanto has a character, Bruno, and we won't go into a whole lot of details, but he can see the future. And the result of that is his family comes to despise him because he's always sharing bad news. As he warns his family members of different things that are going to happen, instead of appreciating him for his warnings, the family ends up thinking that he causes the bad things. Jeremiah can relate because Jeremiah is warning that captivity is coming and nobody wants to hear that. So they say, we don't talk about Jeremiah or we don't listen to him. Here's the message of Jeremiah. Idolatry leads to exile. Idolatry leads to exile. But Jeremiah's generation is utterly convinced that Jerusalem will never fall. God had miraculously delivered them in the past and so God always will deliver them. Now here's something that dangerous happens, and, and you need to mark this for your own soul. Instead of God's past deliverances, instilling in the people of Jerusalem gratitude and reverence towards the Lord, it produced a dangerous spiritual condition where they began to take God for granted and began to believe that God was compelled to protect them and provide for them no matter what they did. Look at Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 19. Jeremiah is speaking and he says, Your evil will chastise you and your apostasy will reprove you. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you, declares the Lord God of hosts. Hey, it, it's not a small thing if, if you begin to feel taken for granted, is it? In, in fact, uh, can we think about that phrase for a moment, taken for granted? I, I'm not sure there's a more devastating ingredient to healthy relationships than if one person begins to, be feel, begins to feel taken for granted, right? If one person begins to say, I do for you, but I'm not appreciated. What happens if a mom begins to feel that way? Or a parent begins to feel that way? Or a spouse begins to feel Or a friend begins to feel that way? That relationship is in need of, of healing. Do you take the Lord for granted? All that he has done for you. 
Now, sometimes when we feel taken for granted, it's not actually based on truth, right? But that's not the case with God. He has some things to say to the people of Jerusalem. And we'll begin with this point taken from the passage this morning. I've got three, if you want to follow along on the outline. And it's just the word of the Lord is certain. Amen? The word of the Lord is certain. Verse 11, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. In other words, God says, I'm going to do what I said I was going to to do. Uh, I I was listening or or reading a book this week uh, by um, an author named Kelly Capick. And he says, I just thought this was helpful, kind of understanding our day. He says, what an irony that our modern age, on the one hand, exhausts us with its calls for complete self-expression, and on the other hand, suffocates us with its pressures to conform. We must constantly adopt to ever-changing fashions, humor, music, and keep up the appearance that we are independently minded. And I'm, I'm highlighting that because I think that's helpful. We live in in an age where it's the expression of the individual, what we say, while you have to so rigidly conform with the expectations of the culture. That is exhausting, and it's so uncertain. But the Word of the Lord is certain. Have you ever noticed that God asks questions in the Scripture? Jeremiah, what do you see? Remember what he asked Adam? It's one of the best questions you can ask a human being. Where are you? Where are you? Now I know you might say, well, I'm I'm at church. That's not what God's asking. Where are you in your life right now? What answer would you give? Kind of asking, what are you doing with your life? You remember that uh, God asked a question to Elijah. What are you doing where you are? Hey, we were reading uh, in the Gospel of John. Do you remember what he asked Andrew when Andrew started following him? Jesus, he said, what are you seeking? Those are good questions, aren't they? Well, you might find that that you can kind of numb your mind to the point where you're not answering those questions in life anymore and you're kind of existing and not living. What are you doing with your life? What do you see? Now, um, here's another help is uh, whatever answer you give doesn't mean it's right just because you gave it. Does that make sense? Where are you? And you're trained over and over in this culture to say whatever you say, however you answer that, that's true for you. But who's asking the question? God is. God's asking, Jeremiah, what do you see? I've noticed my children don't like questions when they've done something wrong any more than I like my dad's questions when I busted the septic tank, right? I think I've got a um, picture on the screen. Do we have that? I'm going to put that up. Do you know what that is? That's an almond tree. That's what Jeremiah said. He said, what do you see? And he said, I see an almond tree. 
Well, a couple things about this is, is first of all, in Hebrew, the language that was written, that, that Jeremiah is written in and he spoke, the Hebrew word for almond and watch, W-A-T-C-H, sound really similar. So it doesn't come across this way in English, so just to explain in Hebrew, the word almond is shaked, the word meaning to watch or to look or what do you see is shaked, shaked, shaked. And then the almond tree in Jerusalem had great significance. It's a little tricky question for us this morning. How do you know springtime is on the way? I know. You lost 30 degrees in an hour overnight. How do you know springtime is on the way? Well, you say, I saw some pollen this week. Anybody see that? Got in my truck to drive to work, and there was my truck covered in pollen. And you know what I said? Oh, no. Here comes the sneezing, right? That's kind of what I... Well, if you were to ask the people of Jerusalem, how do you know springtime is coming? Do you know what they would say? Almond trees. When the almond tree starts to bloom, we know spring is on the way. And because of these, the way these words sound similar, shockhead, shockhead, the almond tree was also known as the watching tree, the waking tree. You would watch for the tree to wake, and then you'd know spring is on its way. So here's kind of the point. You'd be foolish to walk up to the almond tree in the middle of winter and say, I don't see any blooms, therefore spring is no more. You know the difference between a tree that's dormant and a tree that's dead, right? What's the comparison? You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. Just because it isn't happening doesn't mean it won't happen. Does that make sense? And it's his word. That's what the almond tree is kind of representing in the passage. It matters a lot more what God sees than what I perceive. Spiritual maturity, actually, is your spiritual eyesight becoming more like his. The word of the Lord is certain. Just because you don't see it now doesn't mean it won't be brought to pass. Hey, if you're in Jeremiah, the previous book is Isaiah. Look with me in Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, reading from verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it spring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The word of the Lord is certain. So I want to remind you of some of the promises that we have from God. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 14. I think we have these verses to put on the screen. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. The word of the Lord is certain. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does it mean to confess our sins? It means that we agree with Him. I made a mess and I can't fix it. I'm confessing that. God, I need help. Or Acts chapter 2. 
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children who are all far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And just to put an exclamation point on this, and we could have thousands of other verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him, in Jesus. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Now, the almond tree, the waking tree, the watching tree, is a glorious demonstration that God's Word is true. But we are people who look to the tree of Calvary, to the cross. That's the real waking tree. That's the real watching tree. That's the, that's the tree that says forever and always, God's word is certain. Have you ever come awake in light of the cross? Been born again? Been rescued? If you've been awakened at the cross, you watch in light of the cross. That's how you interpret <laughs> your life. Well, the passage teaches us, secondly, that, that God is holy and He is not indifferent to evil. Verse 13, the word of the Lord came to me a second time. What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. And the Lord said to me, out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against its walls and around and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for their evil, all their evil in forsaking me. They've made offerings to other gods and have worshiped the work of their own hands. And then also read with me Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 19. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord. And with your children's children, I will contend for cross the coasts of Cyprus and see and send to Kadar and examine with care, see if there's been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are not gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. My people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In both passages, the word evil is used. Now, part of our sinfulness is we like to water down our sinfulness. So just want to say from the Scripture it is evil to forsake the Lord. It is evil to forsake the Lord. It is evil to live as if you are the Lord. It's evil to look up at the heavens and say to God, who are you to question me? Who are you to tell me what to do? Who are you to set boundaries for me? What, what, what do you think or who do you think you are to tell me what to do? I will establish for myself identity, purpose, and meaning. I will not give an account to you. I will do as I want. And as you have that posture, say to the Lord, I still expect peace and security, food and life. If we go through life saying, there is no judgment, there is no God, there is no one to hold me to account, you fit right in with the people in Jerusalem in 620 B.C. 
God says there's a boiling pot. It's about to be unleashed. It's a reference to ultimately Babylon that's going to come from the north. Now, what had happened multiple times in the past is whether it was invaders from the south, the east, the north, no one was ever able to conquer Jerusalem. Even when all the surrounding areas were conquered by the Assyrians, God protected Jerusalem. But instead of that leading to gratitude, it led to a form of pride and a dangerous assumption. God will deliver us no matter what we do. But God loves us enough to tell us the truth about Himself and that He is holy. It's evil to forsake Him. We tend to to think of, of so very little of our sinfulness and in connection so very little about His might and holiness. And friends, it's a mistake to confuse His patience for permission. That does beg a question, and it's an important one. If God judges evil and I am evil, what hope is there for me? God is willing to deal with our evil in a holy way. But there's only one way to do that, and that's through Jesus Christ. Do you remember um, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus was crucified, he was praying in agony. He'd asked uh, his closest friends to pray with him, but you might remember they all fell asleep. And Jesus is agonizing, and you might remember that he prayed to the Father, if there be any way for this cup to pass me, but not my will be done, your will be done. And, and the cup didn't pass him. You know, Jesus wasn't um, agonizing that night over the physical excruciating punishment of crucifixion. He's agonizing that he knows he's about to face the wrath of God, uh, his holy father for sin. But not his own sin, he has none, right? Jesus offers himself in our place. He drinks the cup instead of us. So in light of that, You're either trusting that God's not holy and therefore there is no judgment to come, or you're living and believing that God is holy and Christ is your only hope. Our only hope in life and death is Jesus. So that asks the question, what do you see? Jeremiah 1.15 says, "The, the entrance to the gates of Jerusalem are going to be occupied by the tribes of the north. And the citizens of Jerusalem were so certain that would never happen. They roll their eyes at Jeremiah when he suggests this. And they rolled their eyes right up to the point that it actually happens. That brings us to the third point. And that's without God... Nothing and nowhere is safe. With God, there is unshakable stability. One of the reasons that I wanted us to study through the book of Jeremiah together is because I do think there's a lot of similarities between their attitude then and, by and large, our culture's attitude now. I mean, as I'm writing the sermon and I get to this point and we talk about judgment, I know that this is a matter that's often people roll their eyes at 
today. God? Judgment? Part of, not all, but part of the stress of our day is we're beginning to realize some of these things that we've trusted in aren't so secure after all, are they? Probably part of anxiety in your life. You look around and say, man, this world isn't as secure as I thought. The world is passing away, friends. Do you know that? Do not love the world or the things in the world. For all that's in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life is passing away. But he who does the will of God abides forever. And, and God is making a contrast between what will happen to Jerusalem and what will happen to Jeremiah. One is insecure. One is unshakable. God is actually promising Jeremiah a more fortified standing than the technology of the day allowed. He says, I will make you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls. In those days, he built walls all around the city. There wasn't any place that had bronze walls. At best, you might have a bronze gate. But nobody had the technological ability to make walls all around the city bronze. God is saying to Jeremiah, I'm going to keep you safe. Now, please listen to me. That doesn't mean that Jeremiah is going to have it easy. It doesn't mean that Jeremiah's life isn't going to be full of hardship or suffering. It certainly doesn't mean that everybody's going to like Jeremiah. In fact, he, he's told the opposite, right? Look, look what it says in verse uh, 18. I'm making you a fortified city against the whole land, against the kings of Judah. What's he saying? The government leaders are not going to back you, Jeremiah. It's officials. It's priests. Hey, Jeremiah, even those who claim to speak for the Lord are not, they're not only going to not back you, they're going to come after you. And the people of the land, they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. What is Jeremiah's response to the people coming against him? It's not that he, that he begins to hate them. Does anybody know uh, Jeremiah's nickname? He's known as the, the weeping prophet. He's not known as the complaining prophet. He, he's not known as the, oh yeah, you come against me, I'm going to come against you, prophet. One of the markers that you see as God sees is that you'll spend more time weeping and praying about the spiritual state of things and about your neighbor than you do angrily complaining. Does that make sense? Judgment is a serious thing. I want you to turn with me to the New Testament book of 2 Peter. 
We're actually going to read an extended passage. We're going to read 2 Peter 3, verse 1 through verse 13. Peter writing, he says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. In other words, I'm trying to get you to really think about things. That you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. They will say, where's the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. In other words, Noah was laughed at in his day. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is, a thousand, is as a thousand years and as a thousand years is one day. You might say it's been 2,000 years since Jesus was it's a couple of days. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness. Don't go to the almond tree in the middle of winter and say, spring's not coming. But is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since we are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. We'll conclude the message this morning simply by saying it is evil to forsake the Lord. But He has responded not by forsaking us, but in grace sending forth His Son to bear our penalty on the cross. The judgment of God is certain. I know that's laughed at and mocked by the world around us. But God is holy, 
And if we reject Christ and insist on going our own way, if we look at the almond tree in the middle of winter and say there are no leaves there, God's word can be dismissed. A dormant tree is not a dead tree. Spring will come. New heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Do you see that? That was the question God asked Jeremiah. And I think we do well to consider the question in our invitation. What do you see? Would you stand with me and we'll pray together. We always have a response time to the sermon. The word of the Lord is certain. God is holy. Jesus is trustworthy. What do you see? Would you bow your heads with me? and My exhortation for you this morning is, don't live as if 2 Peter 3, 1-13 is not true. You weren't there in Jerusalem in 586 B.C., You will be there on the day of the Lord. I will give an account of my life. And I am thoroughly convinced. That without Jesus. I would have no hope on that day. And I am thoroughly convinced because of Jesus because of Jesus I'll be in the new heavens and the new earth. Father, we we need grace and I'm asking for your help to, to take a message that I recognize as mocked in the greater world that we live in. I recognize that it was mocked in Jeremiah's day. It was mocked in Noah's day. I also recognize the world mocked Jesus when he was hanging on the cross. That in our sin, we take so flippantly things that are holy and take so seriously things that are passing and fleeting. So thank you for uh, the word of the Lord that comes to men like Jeremiah and comes to comes to us today. Give us ears to hear, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.